0: Those of you at home, if I missed you at the beginning, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. My name is Jeremy. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Welcome to Providence Road, especially if you're a guest with us. Like Jay said, we're, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. We're going to jump back into our series going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in the middle of chapter 9 today. So I'm going to read the text that we're going to look at today, and then we'll pray and get into it. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that these are your... um, That This is your revelation to humanity. These are your words, inspired by you. So I pray as we look at it this morning and we dig into it this morning, that we would keep that in mind. These aren't the words of uh, merely some human. These aren't words that I've thought of this week. These are your words, and I, I pray you help us understand them. I pray you would change our minds as a result of your word, change our hearts, change our desires, change what we want. I pray you would change how we live when we leave this place. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where um, you're trying to belong to a group of people or get involved with a group of people and you feel this, and maybe you're not anything like these people or you feel like you're a little bit of an outsider trying to become an insider and you do things, you adopt things to help you look like them uh, for the sake of maybe your work, for the sake of friendship, maybe you're new to a city and you try to adopt some practices of people. Um, and so um, today, um, well, I'm going to first show you this picture here. It may, it may look like this. Um, you know I'm a big fan of The Office, if you haven't picked up on that now. Um, this is obviously Jim, the different faces of Jim. You have... Um, you kind of remember each of those episodes. So this is uh, trying to look like someone and really not doing it very well. other than the bottom right, that was a great, that was a great prank that, that Jim pulled on Dwight there. Um, but I think we, I want you to imagine you can go ahead and take it down now, thanks. Uh, imagine yourself in a situation like this. I want you to picture yourself and imagine like the tensions you would feel. Imagine how difficult it is to remain who you are but also try to kind of enmesh yourself in some way with another group of people, to become like them in some way. And this morning we're going to see Paul in 1 Corinthians really show us how he does this. Paul, one of the greatest, if not the greatest missionary that's ever lived, church planner, ambassador of the gospel, um, he is going to show us how when he goes into a city and he's trying to preach the gospel, love people well, get people to understand the gospel, that he um, shows us how he does that. And sometimes it's just preaching it. But all the while he's in the city, he's trying to understand the people. He's trying to become like them in some customs and understand their language. And get to a point where he can um, be friends and be close enough to to them where they will understand the gospel. He's going to help us this morning be good missionaries and ambassadors or sent ones, the scripture says, um, of Jesus. Now, this is a value that our church holds dearly. We've, done, we've held it up high as value for the 10 plus years of our existence. We want to be a church that's, that's missional. We want to be a church that embraces the call as being a sent church to the community and sent ones as individuals to the people around us. And we want to take that calling seriously. And so as we kind of move into 2021, this is a good time here to really call us back to that value. We're still doing that, okay, but I think there's, there's room for improvement in this area. I know there's room for improvement in my own life, in being a, an ambassador of, of Jesus, and really what does that look like, or one that's already been sent because I'm a follower of Jesus by the gospel. And so today we're going to see this, and Paul's going to help us do this. Now, I want to speak to um, anybody in the room that's an, that, that's. Uh, not a believer, that you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Someone watching at home that may not consider yourself a Christian or follower of Jesus. We're going to talk unashamedly about the mission of God today. And so it may feel like we're talking about you in front of you today. But I want to just say something. What we have as followers of Jesus is a message. It's a gift that we believe is the greatest message and gift a person could ever hear and receive in their entire life. The grace and mercy and love of God and an offer to be reconciled back to God. It's the best news in the world, the best news ever. So from your standpoint, I want you to see that we're trying to get better. We're trying to be better uh preachers of the gospel, be better ambassadors, be better missionaries so you can understand this good news. And you can understand this gift that we have. This is not us saying, "Hey, we're we're more righteous or so we're we're better off than you." It's saying, "No, we we've been changed by this message. We've been changed by God's grace and we want to be better at helping you understand what the heartbeat of Christianity is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So I just wanted to stop and say that to you before we really get into this. So this morning, we're going to see Paul um, give us really three views, I think, of how he sees his mission. Number one, he's going to describe what he does. So really how he thinks as a missionary. Number two, we're going to see how he does it. And number three, we're going to see why he does it. So you got what and how and why. Very straightforward this morning. So let's look at verse 19. First verse today, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Okay, This is the main idea for the passage. Okay, The passage today, this is it. This is the main idea. And, and Paul is staying on the same theme. Um, probably you don't remember unless you were, have been kind of going back into 1 Corinthians and kind of reviewing, but... In mid-November, we stopped halfway through this chapter. In the, the previous sermon in mid-November that we covered, um, we talked about this idea of entitlement and this idea of, of really narcissism and how that can creep into all of our lives. And if you remember in Corinth, there was this, uh, the, the culture, there's this kind of maybe tradition where speakers would come in and people would, would pay them to come in and share their message, the newest philosophy. And so there was this codependency. The people that gave them money to do this would kind of expect something from them. They wanted to kind of get in with them. They, they wanted to be kind of seen and associated with them by allowing them to stay at their house or giving them money. Well, and then obviously the speakers were dependent upon the people because they made a living off of doing this. And Paul, at the beginning of chapter 9, says, I, I don't want to receive money, even though I have a right to, He quotes scripture, saying, I have a right as a gospel minister to receive money from you, but I'm not going to take it. Because he didn't, want, it, it, he didn't want to be seen at all like these speakers that came through where there's this unhealthy codependency happening. He wanted to just stay above that and say, I don't want any of that. He, 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 he's saying, I want to be free from the approval of other people. I want to be free uh, from needing to be paid. I want to be free from this messy relational dynamic that happens when I'm receiving money. Um, And so he's all along in this this letter, especially the, the last several chapters, we've seen Paul kind of describing that I have freedom now. I have freedom in the gospel, but there are places where Paul is choosing to give up the, to that freedom, to lay down rights for the sake of the gospel. So that's, that's what Paul's thinking here. And so, so he continues on by saying, for, for though I am free from all. So I'm free, I'm free. I'm, I'm, I'm the only person really I'm a servant to is God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would say. And he says, I have made myself a servant to all. Now, that idea of servant can also be translated slave. It's a pretty strong statement for Paul to make. So he, the people he sees, the people that he's engaging with, he, his goal is to be a servant to them, to be a slave to them. So part of our call as followers of Jesus is being a servant, slaves, if you will, to the people that were around, the people that we trying to. To reach, And you may say, that's, that's strong, and yeah, that's, that's strong language from Paul, but he's going to help us understand what he means by this. And then he finishes that verse with, that I might win them, and really that just means see that they're saved. He wants, to, he wants to preach the gospel in such a way that God can move and work in their lives, that they will be saved by God's grace and his mercy. But Paul uses that language throughout this paragraph. Let's look at verse 20. So he starts to talk about groups of people here he has in mind. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, which would be a Jewish person as well. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. In verse 21, he switches to a different group of people. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So two groups of people he highlights here. He's talking about the Jewish people and the Gentiles or the Greeks here. Those under the law are the Jewish people. And remember, Paul's from a Jewish background himself, right? And so he's saying that I became a Jew. And then since he he follows the Jewish customs, He, he knows who his audience is. He's saying, I'm not, I don't have to, to obey all of the laws that come, come with being a person in good standing in the, in the Judaism faith. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to, I can put, I can go into a situation and kind of become a, a Jewish person again in the way I act, the way I speak, the way I talk. And if you think of this idea of food, right? Food was something that Paul's already addressed a little bit in this, in this chapter as an example. There are certain things that Jewish people could not eat. It was a big deal in their religion. So Paul's saying, when I'm with a Jewish person, I'm in a crowd of people that are from my background, that would be an unnecessary stumbling block to the gospel, so I'm going to not eat the things that the Jews aren't supposed to eat when I'm around them. because So I'm going to become like them in that way, so that when I do preach the gospel to them, there's no stumbling block. There's no, there's no issues. There's not, he's, he's saying, That's, the food thing's not a hill I'm going to die on. I'm willing to give that up. Then you move over to the Gentiles or the Greeks who didn't have those kind of laws with food. Well, when he's around them, he would eat meat. He would eat pork. He would eat all of the things because he knew that it, he didn't have to follow those, those things like the Greeks and the Gentiles. Well, now there are probably other things that he would, he would kind of become like them with. We see in, um, in Athens in, in Acts 17, he Obviously, he has read well in the, in the, in the Greek world, quotes their philosophers, quotes their poets. So he, he's able to talk their language, talk with them about things. So this is Paul saying, for these two polar opposite groups of people, I become um, all things to both of them so that people from both of these groups would become followers of Jesus. Then he continues in verse 22, another group of people. And this is more a general category, most people think, but to the weak I became weak. That I might win the weak, I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So the weak here, this is, I think this is just a general weakness, and you got to remember this church in in, in Corinth, this is, Corinth is, think of modern-day New York, LA, Chicago, big city, metropolitan city, city of high achievement, high status. People went there to make it big, and it was like this, this kind of hub, and so Paul doesn't want that kind of attitude to mix itself with the church. And he's already addressed this earlier in this letter, but he's really trying to show them that to to, to be a good missionary, to be an ambassador for the gospel, you have to become weak. You can't pretend to be strong. You can't use the church to gain status in the world or you're not going to be able to become weak. Saying that uh, being a Christian is not gonna uh, gain you status in the eyes of the world. It's not going to make you cool or relevant in the world. It's not going to do that. Didn't for Jesus. And we see Paul in 2 Corinthians talk about the list of his, his, uh, his, the things that have happened to him, right? If you just look at the two of them, this does not make you popular. It doesn't. And so this is something that he's trying to ingrain in them. And if you even think that word he used in verse 19, this idea of servant or a slave, that's it's a, it's why it's a big idea, because the first Corinthians would have heard that, and it would have been challenging to them. Like, they didn't want to be thought of servants by anybody. They didn't want to be thought of as, as somebody's slave. That wouldn't have been uh, popular for them to hear. They wouldn't have wanted to hear that, but Paul's trying to reiterate that we should have the posture as servants to the ones that we are loving and want to see, to see know and love God eventually through God's mercy and grace. Now Paul's not saying we should become doormats. Okay. He's not saying that. He's not saying um, we should just lay down and just become just let everybody just run over us. He's not saying that. He's teaching us and modeling us the way of the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, leadership comes through serving. Leadership influence comes through laying our lives down. He's saying, if you want to lead, which I want you to do, he would say to them, if you want to have influence, which I want you to do, Paul would say to the Corinthians and to us, become a servant to others. It's an upside down kingdom. It's an upside down way of living in the world. The, 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 the least become great. The great become less. Like This is the way of the kingdom. And Paul is again, once again, reminding them of this. Now, I want to stop and get practical here for a second for us. like I've, I mentioned the food example that Paul would get into with the, with the Jewish people and the, uh, the Gentiles, but I want us to help think through this a um, little bit more practically. And so I'm going to have some slides up here. And this comes from um, a book by Mark Sayers, a guy by the name of Mark Sayers, and he calls it um, The Secular Salvation Schema. Okay, and what this is, is taking what he, he, he's saying here, and most missionaries would tell you this, is that there's, a, there's, there's every culture, people have a, a narrative to the, the, uh, the important things in their life, and you'll see that here in a second. So we're going to put the Christian worldview and the secular worldview side by side here to kind of see as Christians, we should be aware of the, the mindset of people who don't believe, and follow Jesus. We should try to understand the world in which we live in. And I'll say, when, these are painting with broad strokes here, so just know that these are very uh, short summaries, so we're, it's probably not as nuanced as it needs to be. Uh, go ahead and, and throw that first one up there. So the original design for the world here, okay? The original design for the world, the Christian worldview says, mankind was made in God's image in the Garden of Eden. Walking in God's presence, experiencing no shame. There was an inherent goodness to man in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, okay? Now you look at the secular worldview, how they would define original design, the original design, the origins of the world. Your original design is your true self, your inner child that was happy before you were uh, despoiled or before you were tainted in some way. But there's an inherent goodness inside of humanity, okay? Let's move on to the fall, okay? The fall, Christian worldview, the introduction of sin into God's creation, choosing self over God. Though created in God's image, our nature has been distorted by sin, our bent is away from God. This is Genesis 3, right? Secular worldview, uh, the fall or the problem with our lives is that trauma um, has damaged our true selves, So it's that thing that's ultimately good. So life, other people, cultural traditions, or religion have corrupted us. So you notice that the problem is not inside of us. The problem's out there. It's, it's something has happened. It's other people. It's I'm damaged goods. It's, it's kind of this victim, uh, mentality. There's something that is corrupted, something that is naturally good inside of me. That's the problem. Again, this is, a, that's a broad brush that there may be other rabbit trails from that. Um, let's go to sin. Sin says, in Christian worldview, living contrary to God's design, anything that separates us from God's presence and is designed for holy living, um, which is inward and outward holiness. Secular idea of sin, even though that may may not acknowledge it being sin, um, it's, it's low self-esteem, that's bad. Unhappiness, anything that hinders pleasure, anything that makes you feel bad about yourself, anything difficult or uncomfortable, Those, that's the thing to avoid. That's the thing that's to, to be fought against. We would call that sin in the Christian worldview. Salvation and redemption, the Christian worldview. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provides salvation through the forgiveness of our sins and the adoption back into God's family. Salvation is past, present, future. Secular worldview, rediscovering. So this is how you're saved. This is how you kind of make it. Rediscovering your inner self your true identity, being centered and being connected in whatever, whatever way that means to the person, being at peace because I know who I am. Like, I know who I am now. I'm at peace with everything. I'm good. That's kind of the ultimate salvation for much of the, the secular worldview and its roots. Holiness, Christian worldview, fleeing from the sin or the old nature that holds us to the unredeemed life and clinging to God's ways and purposes for our life. That's how we would view holiness. Secular worldview. Fleeing from externally given identities, binding commitments, difficult things, or any restrictions on my individual autonomy. Okay, so, so breaking free of those things is what kind of the goal. Um, again, holiness wouldn't be the word for it, but um, another word of, of what's our ongoing purpose, maybe. Discipleship. Christian worldview, there's two more. Obedience to Jesus and his vision for your life. Dying to self, becoming more like Jesus. It's not a surprise, right? Secular worldview. Um, This is more along the lines of this achievement culture, hitting metrics of our outer self, creating an outer self that reflects the true inner self, Self self-expression, being true to ourself, and our future hope. This is how all things are going to end, right? All cultures have kind of a way to describe what's the end result here. Where's the world heading? Christian worldview, heaven and new creation. God's way wins the day. All things are made right. Death and sin are defeated. Secular worldview Pleasure and happiness in this life, feeling good about yourself and at peace with who you are just the way you are. Okay, that would be ultimate. If you describe, hey, hey, what's the ultimate thing in your life for someone who maybe doesn't call themselves a Christian, this would probably, in some form, this is probably be what they would say. Now, step back. This is a way that we can understand the secular world we're living in. Like This, is, like, this kind of stuff, this is kind of nerdy. Um, I took this from a book, but this is kind of the stuff we need to think about. What are people's hopes? What are their dreams? What are they most afraid of? What do they think the world's heading? What do they think is the big problem of the world? And how do they think that problem is going to get solved? These are questions that an ambassador or missionary would ask. So how does Paul do this? Let's move on in the text. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now that's the, right, that's like the If you were a teenager in sports camp, this is the diverse on the back of the t-shirt, right? That one in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is that one you had on your back, and this is usually where it stops, right, on the t-shirt. Because do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Completely ripped out of the context of what Paul's talking about, right? Um, Which often happens on t-shirts. Let's keep going. So run that you may obtain it. 25, every athlete... Um, and in some translations, actually the, a good translation would be everyone who agonizes. The word underneath athlete, there's one who agonizes. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a striving here. Okay, So every athlete that strives and exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air or aimlessly or without purpose. But I discipline my body. To keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, Paul begins imagery here from um, kind of the, the, um, the origins of the Olympic Games. It wasn't as, obviously, as organized as we have the Olympic Games now, but the origins of the Olympic Games were in um, Greece, right? This is part of their culture. Like, this was a, a big part of their culture. And it was popular in Greek philosophy to use a lot of imagery from the games because it was such a, such a big deal in their culture. So let's talk about the, these verses. So discipline here, he's not speakly, speaking in, in general terms here. I think you can apply that because we should be disciplined as followers of Jesus. But remember, the context is being a missionary, being an ambassador, being a sent one on behalf of Jesus. He's talking about our witness in the world. And what he's saying here, it takes work. It takes intentional focus to know one's neighbor's. To, um, to, to understand the broader culture. Maybe in some cases to love our enemies. To try to engage people who may not, may, may not think like us and may not um, um, act like us. Training and effort is required to be a an, an missionary in this culture um, consistently over the long haul. Which is the whole point of him using this ath- athletic imagery. He wouldn't have used the athletic imagery if he wasn't talking about the hard work that it takes to do this. We have to consistently figure out a way to make the gospel, our message, intelligible and really intellectually credible. Especially in a place like Norman with a university here. We have to make the gospel credible and we have to be willing to ask these questions what people are asking. And then in, in verse 27 he talks about being disqualified here. And really he's saying, I don't want the gospel to be seen as a counterfeit. Like, if my, if my life doesn't match up, match up with the message as a, as a witness, as a missionary, as an ambassador on the front line, then I, I'm getting in the way of the gospel. My behavior, my conduct is getting in the way of the thing that I'm trying to discipline my body so I can be a good preacher of the gospel. Okay? So there's this focus, there's this intentionality here. And I think it's, it's uh, relevant right now that you were in the uh, conference finals of NFL season, and you have um, Tom Brady still playing, right? And love him or hate him, I know, uh, some people don't like him, um, but he's really good, right? Um, Really good, and probably one of the best, if not the best quarterback of all time, 43 years old, playing this year like he's in his late 20s, right? He's had a really good season, and Um, you start to dig under why Tom Brady is still able to do what he does at 43, and his preparation is nuts. Like, you just Google Tom Brady preparation or Tom Brady um, training regimen or whatever, and you get the typical things that a professional athlete would do, like clean diet, working out. Of course, he does those things. But he also does some pretty weird things as well, if you haven't read about it. He goes to bed at 8.30, sleep at 8.30 every night even in the off season, right? Like this isn't like a game day, asleep at 8.30 every night. Um, And I know he's got kids and uh, he he has every minute of every day for the whole year ahead of him planned out. Every minute of every day, 365 days ahead of time planned out. He knows exactly where his time's going at all, all minutes of the day. He also, I found out just a few days ago, that he sleeps in bioceramic-infused pajamas, okay? And to make it sound a lot cooler, the article said athlete recovery sleepwear. Yeah, they're they're PJs, Tom. Um, And it's supposed to help promote a better night's sleep by combining ergonomics with science. So the man sleeps in space pajamas, to make sure he can play the way he wants to at 43. Now, I say all this because I think Paul, if he was in our present day age right now, he would probably be using a guy like Tom Brady as his example. I mean, even Olympic athletes in our day and age, the best, you just peek behind the curtain of their lives. Everything is wrapped around in their life that every four years of them being at the tip top of their game or their event right at the right time. They're training. They're just meticulous in their preparation. Their lives revolve around training and competing. So now let's bring that over to, again, we're we're gospel ministers. We're called as people who should be ambassadors, sent once for the gospel. Do we orient our lives around the gospel like that? Do we do things with preaching the gospel and loving our neighbors in mind? See, Paul has a purpose here. He's saying, don't, he's not going to waste time or energy apart from achieving this goal, which is to make disciples that make more disciples and see churches planted. That was Paul's goal. But this is hard. Like when this this is a big challenge for us, when we we feel this, it should be challenging. But all of us probably have that one area that we really work hard in. Maybe it's work, maybe it's uh, family stuff, maybe it's our health, our family fitness, diet, financial planning, that hobby. We kind of know how this feels like when we wrap our lives around something. So we're all capable of doing it. We have everything we need to be able to be good gospel ministers like Paul. One of the first things we'll say is "Is my schedule's so full. I'm so busy. Um, College students, you would say, I've got classes and I've got meetings and I've got groups I'm a part of. How do I have time? My, my uh, statement back to that would be, are you being intentional in your busyness? Who are you spending your time around? When you're studying, are you, are you kind of bubbled off with a bunch of just Christians? Or are you actually trying to get to know people who are not from the Christian faith so you might be good news to them? Parents who are dragging your kids all over town, doing different things, and all, it's busy, it's crazy. I'm starting to get into that season, I know it. But are we being intentional in who we spend our time around? I know I'm, I coach uh, teams. I coach Jax's uh, uh, t-ball and basketball teams. And so I need to ask myself the question, am I being intentional with the parents on Jax's team, the parents on your son or daughter's teams? Are you being intentional with them? You're going to be busy around them all the time, so be more intentional with your busyness. You get in, the, in the burbs, in Norman, we spend most of our time uh, with kids, work, or hobbies, and if you're a student, school. Like Those are the categories of our life. So the question becomes, how do we be more intentional with those categories? Lastly, why does Paul do it? Last thing, verse 23. We skipped it, now we're going to go back to it. because This is the why. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's it. I do it all for the gospel. I do it all for this message that's changed my life that I've received that now I'm a messenger Um, of, right? For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, Paul, we've seen he's flexible. He's flexible um, in in customs. He's flexible in what he reads, what he studies, what he eats, these kinds of things to be able to um, be a part of the community that he's trying to reach. Now, he wasn't flexible in his belief or his behavior. Because he's just said, I'm not going to do anything, I'm not going to sin, because that would actually compromise the very message that I'm disciplining myself to be able to preach. So he's not saying, I'm going to sin, I'm going to do some silly things, foolish things, to so people will believe what I have to say. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, outside of my beliefs, my theological convictions here that come from the Scriptures, I'm flexible in the people I'm around. I'm not going to let my personality be the stumbling block. I'm not going to be my, let my political view be the stumbling block. I'm going to let the gospel be the stumbling block. I'm going to be, let the gospel be the thing that's going to be offensive, not my behavior, not my personality, Paul's saying. And it is, should be the same with us. So it forces us to ask some questions regarding mission and how we relate to people we, that aren't Christians. Like, do we bubble ourselves off? Do we just spend all of our time around people who kind of talk like us and, and, and act like us maybe and... And read the same things we live? Are we actually um, orienting our lives around all kinds of people? People that don't know Jesus, right? Um, And again, he doesn't say, I become an idolater to idolaters. He doesn't say that. Or I become an adulterer to adulterers. He doesn't say that. And we know that Paul wouldn't do that. Now, the motivation Paul has here is love, right? He knows that he's been changed, See, how can I not love my neighbor? How can I not love these people because of the love that God has shown for me? Now, what is this phrase here, sharing its blessings? And so this is the part that I don't, I don't think we think about oftentimes when we're called, the scriptures call us to, um, be evangelists or share the gospel, or preach the gospel. He, he, he knows he's going to receive blessing from it. And he's not afraid of it. He's like, I want some of that. I want the blessings the gospel gives and I know that I'll receive those blessings as I am doing gospel ministry. Um, He knows that he's going to be demonstrating and declaring the gospel. And by doing that, he's going to be changed himself. He says that Jesus has shown me the way. He's shown me. He showed up in my life. As I do ministry, Jesus shows up and I receive the blessing when I actually am preaching the gospel. When I'm connecting with people who don't know Jesus, Jesus is with me there. Because he's mindful of it. He knows that as he's living these things, he's going to receive more gospel blessing, which is going to then help him even preach the gospel more fervently and more passionately. It's a cyclical thing, and Paul wants us to get in that cycle. And here's the deal. We're not going to be able to preach the gospel with power, with integrity, with passion, unless we are experiencing the benefits of the gospel for ourselves in our daily lives. Number one, we have to remember the gospel. So when we talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, we talk about that a lot here. Are you living the gospel out just in the everyday stuff of life, in the mundane? Are you experiencing God on a daily basis? And when we do this, we get, the, the, we get more of the presence and the power of God, and we experience more of him. When we, when we are mindful of the Holy Spirit that is empowering us, and then we get to continue to preach the gospel and get more of that. So I think the question for us is, are we experiencing the gospel? And that is going to feed and empower us to actually preach the gospel to others and to love others well in this way. And again, when we think of our conversion story, those of us who are saved, like again, the the scandalous nature of God's grace and mercy. God, how in the world can you save a broken sinner who wanted nothing to do with you like me? Like, who am I that you would send your son to die for me? Like, how how crazy is that? How amazing is that? And every day we should be thinking, if you have to go back to the point in time where you first felt and experienced in your bones God's saving grace, then do it every day. And allow that to be the motivation and the love that you now go take and share that gift. Share that news. Because if it's not good news, you're not going to share it if it's just news. How's it good to you? Have you tasted it? Do you still feel it the day that you were first saved and God brought you into his family? If you feel dry spiritually, you may not be um, um, partaking in the gospel yourself. If you feel dry and kind of aimless right now as a follower of Jesus, when's the last time you engaged um, in evangelism or talking to somebody about your faith that doesn't know Jesus. Again, Paul's saying that you get a blessing from the gospel as you do this kind of ministry. Another way to say this is are you living the kind of life where you need God to show up? Are you taking the steps in your faith where you're like, I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable position here and I need God to show up. I need his spirit to empower me. I need those words that come from the spirit and not from my intellect here. Like, are we living the kind of lives where God has to show up? Or are we living the kind of lives that we can probably do most of it in our own strength because we're pretty smart or we make pretty good decisions or we had a pretty good home life growing up and we were taught to make good decisions? Or are we living the kind of life that requires God to show up? So my, one of my challenges is let's, let's find those opportunities. Let's find those places where we can step out and ask God to show up. And pray like crazy that he would empower us in that moment to do what he's called us to do. This is the calling on all of our lives. Being a missionary, being a sent one, being an ambassador is not for a special group of people. Oftentimes I think we miss it because the, God, the Bible doesn't spell, hey, you're a missionary out, but it's assumed all throughout the scriptures. I was thinking about it. It's like the movie, watching the movie Star Wars, right? They never stop and say, hey, you know what? We're in space. Let me tell you about space, audience. This is space. This is, this is, how, this is why we're here. This is how it. No, it just starts off in there in space, right? It's the same with us. Like the Bible doesn't necessarily spell out every time. There's places in there that great commission these places, but for the most part, there's this assumption that we're to be missionaries, that we'll know this once we become Christians. So I pray that we would feel that calling. Now, here's a few practical things that I'm done. Uh, number one, missional communities. Leaders of missional communities. We need to create space for this. We need to plan in such a way that it creates space for these kind of relationships and opportunities to happen. Whether that's places, times, people, hobbies, whatever it is, we need to create spaces in everyday life, which is where we do ministry at Providence Road is a missional community, right? Create spaces where that can happen, okay? Uh, Second thing, we need to dwell on the gospel, We need to dwell in the gospel. I already mentioned that. We need to pray for others. We need to pray for people by name that you uh, want God to see work in their life. Again, if you're here and you're not a follower, it's not because you're a project, but because we have such good news, we want you to taste. We want you to see it. We want you to believe it. and We want you to feel it. So let's pray for people to be able to to, to receive it and feel it in that way. Um, We need to be intentional. We're busy. We all make our calendars full. Whatever space we have, we fill it up with something. Are you being intentional with what you're filling it up with? Okay. Are you bringing people alongside of you to do the things you do in your busy schedule? And the last one, um, get into a community. This is better done in community than alone. There's an assumption, once again, Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to a group of people. These commands are to the church. Now, individuals make up the church, but this is primarily for the church, a group of people. So I think God, again, God in his scriptures expects us this to be done in community for accountability, for encouragement. This is hard. It's for help. Those kinds of things. You need to be in community to do this well, in my opinion. And I'll say this lastly. Right now, maybe more than ever before, the world needs to see what a good ambassador of the gospel looks like. We need it. And how are they going to see what that looks like if we don't be intentional with our lives and spend, and, and, and and be intentional about who we spend our time around? Instead of holding ourselves up and letting people have a, a different version of Christianity in their minds. Or they see a different kind of Jesus or a different kind of gospel. It's up, it's up to us as, as followers of Jesus to, to be visible enough for the world. Where the world says, oh, okay, that's what Christian love looks like. Oh, that's the message of the good news. That Christ died for sinners like us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word once again. I pray that your spirit would empower us and move us to live out this calling that you've given everyone who calls um, themselves a follower of Jesus. Help us. We need it. We're desperate for your grace and your mercy and your empowerment in this area. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.